Hey, I'm Stuart McLeod, CEO and co-founder of Carbon. Welcome to the Accounting Leaders Podcast, the show where I go behind the scenes with the world's top accounting leaders. Today, I'm joined by Andrew Hunziker, the founder and partner of Dope CFO, a comprehensive cannabis accounting and tax training program. With executive and business counsel experience across industries, retail, manufacturing, energy, medical, bio and tech, Andrew has built up a national cannabis accounting and bookkeeping training program to help students in over 25 states unlock a new world of clients. He is an expert in cannabis startups, CFO services, turnaround high growth strategies, capital sourcing, mergers, exits, acquisitions and wealth protection. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Accounting Leaders podcast, Andrew Hunziker. Tell, tell me about your journey. Yeah, so the first thing we tell people, and by the way, I'm I'm speaking at the AICPA Cannabis Conference on Monday, um, mm. kicking it off. And the first thing I'll tell them is this is not a niche. This is the birth of an industry. And yeah, so what you- niches are within the industry? You mentioned one of them, just one, dispensaries. Mm. That's mm. the retail side. But way before dispensaries, we have farms. We have chemical mm. processing plants. We have product mm. manufacturers. We have distributors and wholesalers. We have testing labs. We have dispensaries. And then we have delivery companies. So we have about seven, eight different verticals, each are their own niche within the industry. But it's the fastest growing mm. industry in the U.S. And a great, great time for accountants um, to get in early to a, an industry. Mm. And, and how did you find your way in there into servicing that in, in the cannabis industry? complete accident. I kind of the very short story is I was at Price Waterhouse in the 90s. Like many people, I was working in oil and gas. I I took a CFO job literally on the first day of the century, 2000 um, in oil and gas. I spent exactly 10 years there. I basically quit at Christmas in 2010. Right before year end, my my boss and I co-founded an entity in 2006 a pretty big startup. We raised 40 million. We sold that startup to Chesapeake Energy in 2010, right before Christmas. And guess what I did? I said, honey, we're moving to Oregon. I'm moving to where I vacation. I'm out of Oklahoma. (laughs) And so we moved to Oregon and I was like, oh, I'm just kind of semi-retired. This was back in 2010. I did some CFO stuff. I worked in the startup world, but I I was mostly um, doing my passion of rock climbing, having fun, raising kids and doing CFO work. And along about 2000. 15 cannabis kind of hit Oregon pretty big right after Colorado and it hit my hometown and I just accidentally ran into a guy and they're like, Hey, could you help us do due diligence on, they were acquiring um, testing labs. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, yeah, I don't know anything about cannabis, but I'll, I'll go help you out. And I got into it and that led me to meeting this pretty sizable farm that was very early startup in the space, high five farms. And they needed a CFO. I was like, oh, this sounds kind of fun. They were backed by pretty big money investors out of Home Depot off the East Coast and some of the, the big names you'd recognize. And and it was a lot of fun. But so it was just total accident how I got into cannabis. But I had a ball early on. I was like, oh, these people are fun to work with. Yeah. They're all young and hip. I'd been working with, you mentioned San Francisco. I'd been working with some of those high tech startups. I was like, ah. I can't stand that industry. Mm. The first thing any high, high tech CEO tells me is is they're smarter than me on accounting and certainly on software and IT. But oh, by the way, they know more about accounting and tax than I do too, and they don't need my services. So, so I was like, oh, it's great to go into cannabis and 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 work with CEOs that actually value what we're bringing to the table. 
and Bend, Oregon has has taken off in a oh yeah uh, in the industry. You want to talk a bit about that, Andrew? So Bend, yeah, was a very sleepy town. You know, ten, twenty, thirty years ago, it's just absolutely booming. I think part of it was again high tech. People in the Silicon Valley that became very wealthy, where did they vacation? Well, they could just take a quick flight on their private jet over to Bend, Oregon, and they've got skiing and mountain biking and rock climbing and rivers. And so quickly, this developed into not just having all that outdoor stuff. You know, we just have a gazillion breweries and restaurants and music and concerts and everything you would ever want. Um, But without all the traffic, you can drive from one end of the town to the other in about five minutes. And so there's about 100,000 of us now. We have oh, a lot of high-tech startups here, yep. even one in cannabis. Dutchie is is out of Bend, Oregon. They're a $4 billion company last time I checked. Started by a very young guy, <laughs> grew really rapidly. And then we have all kinds of traditional cannabis companies here too, farms and dispensaries. And so it's kind of a, a fun fun location to live. And you can kind of live and play all in one place. And so it doesn't sound like you stayed semi-retired for very long. I know. It's And basically, I've come full circle. I mean, when I was in my full-time job, CFO in Oklahoma, I didn't like actually where I was living. I didn't really like my job. It was really stressful. And and where I've come now, so I took, when when I moved out here, that was probably my little mini retirement. I basically played for two or three years and didn't do much. And then I started getting back into it. Mm. Where I am now is, I actually love what I'm doing right now. Mm. I intend to work at least till I'm 70. I can do my own schedule. I can do what I want. I still go. I've got my group of rock climbers. We go every Wednesday afternoon and every Saturday. And so we just kind of do our own schedule, have a good time. The industry's super fun. And yeah, my wife, like she says, what on earth would you do if you had no job? It's like, because climbing is my passion, what I like to do for my hobby, but my body can't take more than six, seven hours a week of that. So that's just, <laughs> I'd be bugging her. And so she she's glad I'm still working. <laughs> the cannabis industry is a bit bigger for uh, accountants than, say, mountain climbing, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. So it's, um, yeah, climbing is not a great industry. I spent my 20s trying to make it into climbing, and I, I tease my um, dad. I say, I, I maybe had the first ever I actually owned with my brother. I was like 23 um, I'm almost 60 now, but I, I owned an indoor rock climbing gym in Oklahoma City, and it went bankrupt when my, my dad, who is also my banker, pulled the plug. <laughs> he said, nobody will ever indoor rock climbing. It's a bad <laughs> idea. <laughs> now, here we are later. It's it's a multi-billion dollar industry, but we were just too yeah, early. Yeah. <laughs> early can be wrong, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we were too early, and so we missed the the bigger plays. But yeah, and, and I have a lot of buddies that work in the climbing industry. It's actually a, a decent industry now for jobs. Um, but accounting, we're in an interesting place in the world just with the economy and jobs right now. I'm sure you see this too, whether you go to Starbucks or McDonald's or Panda Express or whatever, they're all understaffed. Mm-hmm. They can't find people. Then you go to the other end of the spectrum, doctors, mm-hmm. airline pilots, mm-hmm. accountants, lawyers, we're all short on people. And so, where are all the workers? Are they in Bend, Oregon? <laughs> well, I think, yeah. And I, th- I think some of it is it goes back to demographics and the baby boomers. Cause I remember they've been talking about this in a, for accounting side for 10, 15 years that we're going to hit this peak where all these old accountants are aging out and, and there's still a bunch of them in their 60s and early 70s. 
and they're aging out quicker than new people are coming in. And so it's kind of an unsolvable problem for quite some time. You know, after COVID, you know, well, I have sons, you know, thinking about college, et cetera, and we're looking at different industries. And it's like, yeah, them, whether you're talking about nurses or doctors or anything, they're, they're having trouble. So it's weird. We're having a potential recession mm-hmm. with interest rates going mm-hmm. up, inflation mm-hmm. crazy, but normally in recessions, you have people out of work. Yeah, that's right. That's it's the weird part of it, isn't it? But oh, and by the way, even dispensaries. So my buddies at dispensaries or farms, they're like, they're having trouble keeping people coming in. They have really high turnover. Mm. People come be a bud tender or whatever, or work on the farm, and it's a tricky, tricky world right now. Maybe it's just the young people figured out. I don't want to work for forty years and retire. <laughs> they don't want to um, go that traditional route that we a lot of us older people did. <laughs> Well, particularly in, in accounting, right? And the one one thing that we sort of uncovered early is, you know, the the typical journey of of sort of joining your dad's accounting firm and working there for thirty five years before he lets you to become yeah. fun, or or you know, like it's somebody else's, you know, that or or even going to college and and getting a job at PwC and becoming part of or why or whatever, whatever, right? Like you know, that journey has. Um, come under a fair bit of criticism and, and it's just not it's no longer a model that people find appealing in terms of balancing their their family life their work life their desires for travel and and doing interesting things i mean i, yeah. I think pe- people look for purpose more than anything in their in their work life at the moment well generally speaking yeah no i think that's a great point and i see some of the big firms and they're they have they're like even on their Instagram account, they're posting, look, we had pizza night and now we're, oh, we're doing miniature golf. And I was like, so if I'm working with you for 60 hours a week, I'm not going to want to spend another yeah, five with right. you playing yeah, miniature yeah. golf. But miniature <laughs> golf is not billable, is it? Yeah, it's like so. <laughs> and people do want that purpose. And it is true. I've actually enjoyed that in, in the cannabis is- industry. It's closely tied to the social justice mm-hmm. movement. And many states are trying to bring in social equity applicants. Those people need a ton of our accounting help. So they're taking people. I got off the phone with one of them today. They got a license in Chicago. Mm-hmm. It's a husband and wife. She's a nurse and he's a weight trainer. And they've got a, a license to be the CEO of a probably 10 to $20 million dispensary. They don't have the skills to be a CEO so they can. It's been very rewarding to help work with some of these people that they're great people and they're they're hard workers. and They want to build their dispensary or whatever, but they need a lot of help because they just they've never been trained or even took any kind of track to know about running a business. What's the licensing process? It sounds like in perhaps in some states is pretty straightforward then. <laughs> yeah, it's super. It's all over the place. So like or my two home states, I live in Oregon now, but Oklahoma, both of those states went all in free market. Anyone, everyone just fill out a form. We'll give you a license. And so that leads to wild price swings of the commodity. It leads to lots of bankruptcies because there's too many companies, but it's the free market. And then, which I actually prefer, I think it's better. Go to Illinois is a great example. They're like, oh, no, no, no. We're only going to give a few licenses to these people. 
they started out by giving some to um, social equity applicants. I think there was a hundred of them, mm-hmm. but they, they give them like two years ago. These people got awarded these licenses. What happened after they did that? Lawsuits. Yeah. Everyone started suing each other. Nobody opened any dispensaries. And so some of these states like Florida has gone real slow or they only let in the big players. Yeah. And it's I equate it to beer. It's like that was the old days when I grew up. What if your state, they said, you can only buy Coors and Budweiser. Yeah. Forget all those nice craft brands. We would be in, in uproar. <laughs> We'd be like, no, we want the small players. Without all its 740 craft beers or breweries, right? It wouldn't go over. And, and so I think, we'll, I think we'll get there with cannabis. It'll be very similar to craft brew industry, but um, it's going to be very bumpy until we get there and every state does it their own way. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. What states are more progressive? Where's the industry up to in, in your eyes across America? And do you have a look at sort of some of the other countries and, and which countries are more progressive and, and which are falling behind? What do you think the industry is up to? I follow the global movement enough to know that like, oh, it's going everywhere, whether it's Germany or Israel. Um, I know like over in Israel is a good example. They're doing a ton of research. So first and foremost, this global phenomenon is not just because we want to party on pot. It's really pushed by the medical movement. And for cannabis has been used probably for centuries for health benefits, definitely for the last 50 or 60 years, whether it's cancer patients smoking pot 50 years ago. But the science is finally caught up. So we've got our government, other governments, we've got hospitals, universities, all studying all kinds of studies on all kinds of ailments. And they're finding out, oh, there's lots of good benefits of THC, CBD, CBN, other chemicals, a mixture of chemicals. So we're just getting started. Big Pharma is coming into the space. So there, uh, Pfizer did a pretty sizable ac- acquisition earlier this year. Um, so I think we're going to see 10 years out, you're going to go to your doctor to get prescribed a medicine for something. There's very likely going to be different chemicals from the cannabis and hemp plants in those medicines. Um, and so that will keep pushing this industry forward. So where I tell people, I say, so the West Coast, we've been very saturated now for over 10 years. Yep. Things have, have been going great. And even before 10 years, there was so much illegal activity out here. It's been around a long time. So now the next big growth area is the East Coast. But I tell people, what do I mean by the East Coast? I say everything east of the Mississippi, but throw in Texas and a few states above Texas. And that's the East Coast. So all those states that are now dipping their toes in the water, you know, there's a massive amount of population. So we're going to have big growth there. There's very few states where it's totally illegal. Hmm. But even this coming election, we're going to see changes there. So an ex- a great example is Nebraska. Right. Nebraska was just like Oklahoma. What happened when Colorado legalized in 2012? Nebraska and Oklahoma got together and they sued Colorado, which is very odd for two states to sue another state. They lost. And Oklahoma finally said, oh, you're right. Let's do cannabis. Let's go all in. And Nebraska is in the same place right now. They did a Gallup survey there. 83% of people that live in Nebraska, almost 9 out of 10, want medical cannabis. And so that's just crazy. Am, am, I, am I generalizing too much when I say they're they're all on the on the back half of their life and might, might, might want some easy way? Yeah. <laughs> You layer that over the the opiate crisis where people have been taking pain pills for 30 years and getting died on that. And so I'm in that perfect category. I'm almost 60. Mm. Yes. As I get older, Mm. I'm going to have arthritis, probably dementia runs in my family. 
I've got some anxiety. Sleep is always an issue. Yeah, I want some good medicines. Don't give me Valiums or whatever. That doesn't work. <laughs> and so I want better access to to good things while while we get older. We'll see it keep moving forward. I tell people it doesn't matter who's the president. Doesn't matter if your state's red. Doesn't matter if your state's blue. Mm. Every year it just moves forward. It does, it never goes backward. It just goes like this, and we're pretty much over the hump <laughs> of going backwards to this industry. And what what are the complexities in in this particular industry that that you've learned that probably might have it stand out from an accounting perspective, or, or from at least perhaps a skills perspective? Talk about that because you, you you are talking at the uh, cannabis conference. Yeah, our CPA is putting on uh, next week. I think one of my talks is on startups. Another one's on how to get in the niche. Another one's on regulation. So there's many, many issues unique about this niche. One is we have to do cost accounting. Some accountants, when they hear that word, they're like, oh, that reminds me of college. I don't want to think about cost accounting. Um, so we have to think about, like, how much does it cost to grow up a, a pound of weed? Um, I've had farmers tell me it doesn't cost anything. I took a little seed that I found over here from this plant, and I put it in a teeny little pot with a little dirt for my garden, and that's free. Well, Actually, you know, over the six months to grow that, we need to allocate some rent and water and utilities and labor that will go into that pot as it grows. And so it may end up costing $1,000 for a pound, but we've got to do the cost accounting to do that. We need to be aware of the state compliance regulations. Also, FDA and USDA are heavily involved, um, especially with CBD. Cannabis will fall under that as well because FDA is treating both cannabis and CBD is medicine because that's what people are using it for. Yep, yep. <laughs> and so that means lots and lots of regulation. On top of that, we've got banking issues. It's hard to get bank accounts. We have tons of cash flying around. Yep. We've got merchant services issues. You can't use PayPal, Stripe, Square. Facebook is down. All, all these big players um, are down on the space. So it's there's lots of interesting issues. And then you couple that with there's many CEOs that are literally social equity applicants that may be 25 years old and never run a business in their life. And all of a sudden they're running a multi-million dollar business. Those people need need advice. Yep. Yep. In terms of the technology, I mean, you mentioned Dutchie before. It's a, a fellow Tidemark portfolio company and, and they've done extremely well. Yeah. What is the technology that you see coming into the industry and, and are there payments processes that are supportive of the industry now? Yeah. So that that's actually, I'm doing my podcast um, tomorrow or no, Thursday, with one of the guys in our group that that is his specialty. So, so many of the payment processors that have come in to fill the gap, they've been doing things that weren't always right, and they've gotten in a lot of trouble. It comes around to, are you trying to fool the bank or not? Even the Dutchie system, it's kind of a complex game because it's a real fine line of what is money laundering and what is fraud, and are we trying to trick the bank? And so some of these payment systems are kind of like, okay, here's a cannabis. So there are cannabis banks. So here's a cannabis bank. So it's almost like maybe my bank is Wells Fargo and they're not a cannabis bank, but I go in to buy some pot. And so I'm going to pay Dutchie. They're going to pay the cannabis bank and the cannabis bank's going to pay my bank, which sounds a little bit, okay, that's pushing the envelope a little bit. So I think it's still an area you got to be really careful with. 
Are they actually doing something legit that's above board that works for a payment system? Now, on the banking side itself, luckily, there are plenty of banks. Like in Oregon, we have MAPS Credit Union that has 14 locations, and they'll bank cannabis farms and, and accountants, et cetera. So there, there is banking there. On the software side, though, we see many um, POS systems. That's actually where Dutchie, yeah. Dutchie started delivery, but then they bought GreenBits, which was a huge um, POS system. So we saw hundreds of POS systems. So what's funny is if you if you went outside cannabis, QuickBooks absolutely owned POS. They you could go into any small shop in the US, it's going to be QuickBooks POS. But they said, nope, we don't want to do cannabis. So what happened? We had a hundred software startups um, to POS. And so what happens when, and I learned this from my high tech days. Whenever someone starts any kind of software company as a service, what happens? You get lots of bugs, doesn't work right. It takes years and years and years to get things right. Um, to be like, I say the world's best accounting software ever invented was Excel. And <laughs> Excel works every time. I've never seen a bug. It doesn't need updates. I don't have to pay them a fortune. It just works. Mm. But I don't trust still today many of these software. So we we do lots of reconciliations, inventory counts. We check and they're required to use seed to sale systems, so like Metric or Biotrack. Again, really crappy software. Mm. We have to do lots of tieouts and compare these different systems to each other to make sure the numbers are right. Yep. Because until I'm proven otherwise, I just don't trust a lot of these systems still today. Mm. Apart from, I mean, Dutchie's obviously one that's that's doing really well. Is there some other entrants into the space that are doing uh, that are making your life easier? Yeah, they're coming every day, but. They don't really make our life easier because, first off, every state has a required seed to sell software. You get no choice. And there's only three, Metric, um, Biotrack, and um, MJ Freeway. They're all bad. So that's one piece of software. Then you got your accounting system. More than likely, if I just went to a random company, it's it's either QBO, Zero, Accounting Suite, maybe Sage. Um, so we got to deal with that. Then we got to deal with the POS system. But mm. since there's hundreds of them, there's never going to be a system we're using all the same. We got to be able to deal with all of them. Um, and then they may have a CRM or LeafLogix or something. And so we got to deal with with a lot of these systems. And you just don't know who to trust or or which is going to be yeah. the winner at the end of the day. And even like Dutchie had huge growth, but they just laid off, I think, 10% of their workforce. That was just in the news last week. There's plenty of companies laying off at the moment and just yep. trying to uh, consolidate cash. The market conditions have changed. That's a pretty normal okay. thing going on at the moment. <laughs> yeah, and, and in cannabis, we like to tell people cannabis is pretty recession-proof. It definitely is COVID-proof. Um, sales will boom. And and I think, yeah, we're going to grow no matter what. And so since cannabis is going to keep growing, whether we have a recession or not, that means yeah, the software will grow and the, the accounting services will grow. And so it, it should be a, a pretty good niche for quite some time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, well, let's talk about mountain climbing. How did you get into that? And because, uh, ready ready for this, see what I'm going to do here. So it seems like you've climbed a mountain or two during your career. <laughs> That's probably the only thing I've done for over 40 years. And I could say if I ever done one single thing, that's been the most. And it's, it is kind of odd because climbing was, a. if you go back 40 years anywhere in the U.S., climbing was very, very small. Hardly anyone did it. But I was in Oklahoma where really nobody did it back in the 70s. And so I got into it. I mean, literally, my mom gave me a National Geographic magazine that had a, a photo of Doug Robinson climbing Half Dome 
one of the first descents. And I like saw that and I was, I lived in flat Oklahoma and I was like 14. I was like, I want to do that one day. And I did do it one day when I was 18 or 19 <laughs> and just, I got into it. I loved it. It really affected my whole life. Where did I go to oh, college? Yeah, yeah. Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> that was back in the eighties. And I, I had, and then I lived in the West for much of my life. And I owned a climbing gym briefly until that went under. And, and actually the irony of all that is when my dad kind of pulled the plug on that when, I don't know, I was 28 or something, that's when I decided, I was like, mm. oh, I need a real job. And that's when I went back. to. I actually had a, not a real job. I had a crappy job working in a warehouse, but I mm. went to night school for two years to take all the accounting that I should have mm. taken in college the first time around. I needed I think, 20 hours of accounting to get my CPA so I went to night school, I got my CPA, and I got a job. I worked at PricewaterhouseCoopers in Dallas in the 90s. But it was kind of like the if the climbing deal worked out, I might not have ever gotten into accounting. <laughs> yeah. PwC in Dallas in the 90s, I mean, it, it w would be oil and gas and oil and gas and oil and gas, I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you know, it's funny. I worked at um, one of my first big jobs I worked on both my first two years was Nokia. Do you remember Nokia mobile phones? Of course I do. I, I remember playing. They had a huge facility in Dallas was their North America operations. And, and we worked on that. And actually my boss, I was like in year one, he was in year two, the senior Pierre, he was from Paris and he was living in Dallas and he just reached out to me on LinkedIn. I hadn't seen him in 20 years. He said, "Hey Andrew, I'm a, I'm a partner at PwC. He didn't leave. Oh, <laughs> um, he needed to get out, did he? <laughs> and, and not only that, he was in New York City, and he's but he told me he's like, we're looking at the cannabis niche. Um, I want to I want to pick your brains. And he was still I was like, oh my gosh, you're still there. <laughs> so we got to see Nokia mobile phones fall apart. And <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you, you know, uh, well that that uh, you know that you can still buy what is it, the thirty three ten or something, and." Uh pretty popular with parents giving them to their kids all they can do is ring you know like can't do that. is that it so they, they're still in existence oh, they, okay well, good. maybe somebody bought the like i don't know who's making them already but it's kind of funny yeah you know we uh you would have been there was early 90s or like end of oh, perhaps mid 90s 94 i left high school 97 i was i joined oracle yeah. so yeah i reckon it was like mid to late 90s where uh, playing snake was was kind of the thing that passed the time, right? And all you could do was text or or ring. Oh, I know. With um, you know, today's, as a matter of fact, I get. I'm sure you. We all get tired of it. It's like, how did this happen? It's like I have messages coming on my phone and Instagram and Facebook and all of our different pages. Cause we have various pages and my personal pages on LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram. It's like. I got to check like 12 different places to get all my messages once a day. And it's just like, it's, I don't love it. <laughs> no, 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 I get it. Look, I, the a producer of mine has just confirmed that, that snake is now in color and uh, the 3010 yeah. is available to buy. So there you go. You can, you can still, oh, cool. you can re relive in the mid nineties. Go I'm, uh, it would, you know, yes. I mean, I'll give one to my kids. I don't think they would go for it. <laughs> you, you can't FaceTime message on those. The, um, but uh, no, the kids spend an enormous amount of time on 
yeah on apple devices or android devices and and some sometimes you crave the simplicity of, <laughs> of no apps right yes <laughs> so through mountain climbing you would have experienced many kinds of different uh, challenges what's the story that comes to mind that you've uh, got yourself into a situation where you perhaps you shouldn't have or one uh, a, a wonderful adventure something like that yeah, I just had one with my 16-year-old son like a month ago. <laughs> uh, so we have this big thing called the monkey, which is like a 600-foot tower that overhangs basically on every side. So you get to the you get to the top, and it's quite an exciting. The probably the most exciting part is getting down. But we went up there. Um, so normally, I actually, stay much lower to you know my my younger days. Yes, we, I would go climb on El Capitan or Half Dome or these big huge walls. But nowadays, we just go out. We stay close to the ground. We do a we go up eighty feet, come back down. But me and my son went up on this on this climb and we, we had to do two repels and we, we got over the edge and we got on this little ledge that was like two feet by two feet. We were standing there just barely on this ledge and I pulled the rope down and I threw one end off thinking in my head, we were, I was still tied in, but I wasn't tied in. And I almost, um, I liked it. My friends kid me is like, Oh, you almost threw your rope um, off the, the top, which isn't a good idea because then you can't get down. <laughs> and so I, I threw it off the rope. It was on the edge and it was standing there. It was just zipping down. I was watching mm. it and I just kind of reached out to grab it because I was like, I wasn't really thinking. I just reached out. But when I reached out and grabbed this rope that was very quickly going off the edge, when I grabbed it, it looked like there was 30 feet left. But when I I looked at my hand, the end was right here and it was off the edge. And so we would have been okay, but we would have had to have been rescued, which would have been very embarrassing. <laughs> and we were stuck in the absolute scorching sun of Central Oregon des Desert. We probably would have been fried by the... <laughs> so there's been many adventures over the years, but I try to keep it much safer yeah. these days. But one word you mentioned, challenge. I was actually thinking about this the other day. My wife and I were talking about this. The three big areas of my life, work family and parenting and climbing, all three of them are filled with challenges and obstacles. And I started thinking, maybe I need a more laid back um, hobby like snorkeling or something. <laughs> it's like, oh, my whole life from morning to end is is overcoming challenges, even my hobby. Maybe I need to just float on the river or something. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you smoke a joint and float down the float down the Bend River. There you go. There's there's a challenge for this week. <laughs> I need an easier challenge. Yeah, that is for sure. And and so maybe as I'm getting older now, I'll finally figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> Your kids are into climbing. Then what? That uh, sounds like it runs in the family, and they don't have a choice. Is that <laughs> is that what they would yeah. say? Actually, my two older boys, I have a 26-year-old and an 18-year-old. They do not like climbing at all, never did. And actually, my youngest, William, is really good. He became better. I've climbed 40 years. It only took him two to pass me. My long shot. Makes you proud so, once, right? <laughs> yeah, it's fun to watch him climb. He just blows me away. But yeah, he didn't even climb. He refused to climb until he was 12 or 13. I, and I tease him about that. I was like, William, if you had started climbing when I wanted you to start climbing, You'd be uh, on winning competitions around the globe right now. <laughs> what do the others do? Are you, are you a skier and a mountain biker and all that as well? Yeah, they like to do outdoor stuff. And they're um, actually my oldest son um, makes CBD as well. So he's kind of a chemist. Um, he kind of um, 
yeah, indirectly got me more passionate about it because he's been really big for a long, even since he was 16 or 17 on the science of product. And so kind of got me onto the medical benefits early on as well. Now I'm came to mind, you can delete this one out. One other, you no, know, no, no, we, we don't delete much. <laughs> you mentioned adventure. We went, this is about, let me think, it must've been two years ago. William was just starting to climb because it was before COVID. It was right, but we took a trip to Austria and we drove kind of through down from Prague through Austria to um, Italy. And we ended up at Lake Lugano and we, we did some different climbs along the way. And we actually had some pretty exciting adventures, but they have this thing called Via Ferrata over there. And so that's where they put metal rungs. And so you can go climb like a thousand foot cliff mm. without any ropes. Mm. You just grab these rungs and you have these like clips to your body. So you're you're still safe, kind of. But me and my son, um, we saw this huge wall where my wife was across the lake and we went over and we climbed. We we got caught in a thunderstorm and and ducked beneath the wall. And then we my son's like, let's just go for it. And so we climbed this thousand foot wall in like 30 minutes with these ladders and we got up to the top. And then we we got to the top. We hiked up this hill. And then we were like, oh, wow, there's a church up here. <laughs> and there, there was like a 500-year-old a little chapel. And we went through that. And then we then we went around the corner after our grand adventure. And this is what we need more of in America. We go around the corner. And sure enough, there's a French cafe up there. And we were able to get lattes. And, and so that's the kind of adventure I like. I was like, what the heck? There's a restaurant up here. <laughs> that's what you want. Yes, yes. There's some famous... Uh... In and Swiss restaurants at the top of uh, ski resorts, and to get a nice view after all that effort is a wonderful thing, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a great idea. I was exhausted. I was like, "Oh, we'll have a latte," and then by the way, they've got one of those cable cars that takes us back down. <laughs> so we, yeah, it got very easy all of a sudden. I was like, "This is the way it should be." <laughs> so, what's next for uh, the accounting firm, and and what's next? You got a, more more travel planning this year? Yeah, Barbara. I'm going to AICPA three days next week in August. I fly home for one day, and then we've actually planned this a year ago. We are going to London. I've never been to London for a week, um, family vacation. So I'm super excited about that. Go see all the sites there. It's just a sightseeing trip. And then we've got some more speaking events. And we just launched Dope CFO Certified Advisor. And so it's an actual franchise. Oh, well, so fun. it's... It's an actual people can account. You have to be accountant or CPA can come buy a franchise and go through training and become a dope CFO certified advisor. And um, we're going to have these around the U.S. Um, this fall. Congratulations. There's plenty to do and see in, in London, obviously. What are you looking forward to most? There, uh, my wife's already plotted. I was like, okay, we're going to Westminster Abbey and the palace and, and the Tower of London and the museum. And it's, it's a good visual like, invitation all over again. Oh, I know. And she's, I have to hold her down. She's like, wants to hit every church. And I was like, okay, we got to, we got to do some walking around. And, and, and really what I see. So we're, we're right there kind of by Buckingham Palace with those parks. Um, Hyde Park and whatever the other Green Park or I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to just grab a latte and you say, smoke a puff and walk around the park and chill out. <laughs> well, the, the your holiday has gotten cheaper this year oh, because yeah. the, with parody. <laughs> so we can go just just do some yeah, float down the the river and you'll have to pick out some pubs. There's no shortage of pubs to go and uh, have a yeah, you got all the 
pubs and <laughs> fish and chips and, and the whole deal. And I saw him, my son and I, and I didn't even realize this last week, we're in a restaurant. We saw the English women won the football oh, yeah, cup good. and um, it was pretty <laughs> exciting. And, and I guess they'd never won it before. So it was, everyone's excited over there right now. That complete. Well, I think they, uh, they're still coming to terms with Brexit, but um you know, over summer they they seem to get twelve, uh, uh, fifty-two weeks of drinking just crammed into twelve while the while the sun's out. Twelve weeks, and well, and I asked my wife today. I was like, "Do I need to buy some pounds, or do I just take our dollars over there?" <laughs> now you might offend them with your dollars, but uh, the ATMs work. There's no there's no problem with that. Just make sure you you don't let your bank do the the, the currency. You you get they'll get stuck into you. But um, now there's. There's, I mean, it's pretty easy to travel around uh, these days. Although, yeah, Brexit and um, has uh, made the entry and exit a little bit more painful. I saw recently yeah. there was a queue to get into France for like seven hours or something. There, oh, <laughs> all, the wow. English, all the English got the shits at that point. They wish they'd voted the other way. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> what a nightmare. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And so, how many staff in the in the company and and all remote and growth plans, et cetera, or just happy with where things are at? So it's um, been super excited. So this totally started out as a side hustle. I was just mm. serving clients and I'd get these calls from accountants. Hey, Andrew, I heard you had a dispensary chart of accounts. Can I buy it? Or do you have a cost accounting template? And where we come today with launching this franchise, I've got four of us full-time that are actually will, will be employees. We're all CPAs, accountants. But then I've got my main marketing team. They're out of LA, Amara and her team, their contract, but she has 10 people working for on our account. I've got a PR guy out of New York. I've got a um, Bryce who does all our paid ads is out of um, Barcelona um, and his team. And then who else do we have? Oh, Rick Grossman, my franchise consultant. He wrote the franchise Bible. And so he's on the team helping us launch the franchise. And so we've got this team. He's in Texas. So we're all over the place. We do a lot of Zoom and Slack. And even my core team, Ray lives in Milwaukee. David Lewis is in Salt Lake, CPA. And then Christy is in both California and New York, back and forth. So we're just all over the place. And, and we have to check in and find out who's where to, to get things done. Sounds exciting. Well, there's certainly no offices in Bend, Oregon that um, – would hold all those people anyway, right? Like yeah, it's um, <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, the um, I was glad to see the Hydro Flask. I don't know if you know that water bottle company. They have a huge location here. Like pre-pandemic, they built this massive, beautiful facility, and the COVID hit, and it was empty for two years. I get my coffee next door. I finally last week saw some people back in the building. Oh, I was good. like, do these people abandon this hundred million dollar building? <laughs> Yeah, well, everybody's struggled with flexing during and, and work arrangements during COVID and, and working out what's best for each business. It's not that easy, but um, everybody will find their way. It's uh, as hopefully touch wood settles down. Yeah, so it's – and in the accounting profession, we can luckily do a hybrid model with – if we need to go in, we can, but we're, we can do everything remote. So it, it definitely saves time and productivity, that's for certain – which people like, as long as you, you have a way to connect with others, you don't want to just be hiding in your bedroom all day and night, every day. Yeah, no, I, I get it. I get it. Well, Andrew, this has been an absolute pleasure finding out more about Dope CFO and, and everything that you're up to in cannabis industry. Good luck with your talks at the AICPA conference next week, and thank you for all your efforts. 
in the industry. We we look forward to uh, working with you and getting an update on how you go in the uh, your pub tour of the UK. <laughs> well, awesome! Yeah, it's been great. This has been a super fun one. <laughs> Talk about everything from pubs to climbing to accounting. So definitely a ton of fun. Um, I appreciate y'all having me on here. Pleasure, Andrew. You have a great afternoon. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you found this discussion interesting, fun, you'll find lots more to help you run a successful accounting firm at Carbon Magazine. There are more than a thousand free resources there, including guides, articles, templates, webinars, and more. Just head to carbonhq.com resources. I'd also love it if you could leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. Let us know you like this session. We'll be able to keep bringing you more guests for you to learn from and get inspired by. Thanks for joining and see you in the next episode of the Accounting Leaders Podcast.